When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking shotgun shooting with instructor Keith Coyle. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 225. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. We've got a great show coming up with former guest of the show, Keith Coyle, gun fitter and shooting instructor. We'll talk to Keith in just a bit, but I do want to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, all of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. Patrons of the show are eligible for bonus content and discounts from time to time. We do regular giveaways for Patreon patrons, and we set everybody up with some Birdshot Podcast canned coolers and and stickers starts at just five bucks a month you can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot speaking of giveaways we've got a new prize upcoming for the next winner of the patreon giveaway which will be a code for the complete set of video shotgun shooting courses from today's guest keith coyle he's got his own video course of which i went through a couple years ago it's a great deep dive on shotgun shooting handling gun fit there's some real foundational stuff in there some of which we will talk about on today's show keith and course co-creator scott have generously offered up a complete course code so to all patreon patrons out there and anybody that signs up by the end of this month you'll be eligible to win that complete course from Only Perfect Practice Makes Perfect by Keith Coyle. To everybody else, and again, thank you to Keith and Scott, anybody listening can save 
15% on any of the courses available from Keith Coyle. Only Perfect Practice makes perfect. You can use the promo code BIRDSHOT15. That's BIRDSHOT15, number number BIRDSHOT15, to save 15% off any of the courses available via the link in today's show notes. Click that link for Only Perfect Practice Makes Perfect. Check out the courses available, and if interested, save 15% with code BIRDSHOT15. All right, moving on. Going up this weekend, we've got Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And if you're looking for a gift for your outdoor dad, or maybe you just want to treat yourself, Onyx Hunt would be a great idea for anybody spending free time in the outdoors. You can use the code DAD23 to save 30% above and beyond what you can normally save with our birdshot code. Use the code DAD23 to save 30% on your next subscription to Onyx Hunt or for a dad in your life that you would like to thank with a subscription to Onyx Hunt. All right, one more heads up. Next week is the week I will be down in the Minneapolis area for most of the week, but most notably on Thursday, June 22nd. If you're in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis area, stop on down to the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club for our happy hour event put on by Upland Gun Company, Onyx Hunt, followed by live music provided by the Horse and Hunt Club. Should be a great night. We'll keep our fingers crossed for a beautiful summer evening. Maybe cut out of work early, come on down, shoot around to sporting clays at the Horse and Hunt Club, and then hang out, talk upland birds and shotguns, peruse some of our inventory at Upland Gun Company, and check in with our buddy Ben Bredigan of Onyx Hunt. We would love to see you down there. Should be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. And if you can make it down, we'd love to have you. One more time, that's next Thursday, June 22nd at the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club. You can find a little more information at uplandguncompany.com and keep an eye on our social media account for any upcoming notifications. All right, moving on to today's episode. First, a quick thank you to listener of the show, longtime listener of the show, I might add, Mark Hinkle, who was the organizer of the shoot that went on at Green Acres Hunt Club, which myself and Dan LaFond of Upland Gun Company went down to last weekend as Upland Gun Company. It was an excellent event. Mark organized it. Mark is the one who originally connected me with Keith Coyle. He's a bird hunter, a side-by-side enthusiast, a talented craftsman and woodworker, and a turkey hunter, which I now found out as Mark surprised me with a beautifully crafted handmade box call when I went down to see him last week. I can't quite make it sing yet like Mark can, but I'm working on it, buddy. Just wanted to give Mark a shout out and a big thank you for making all these connections for us, being a listener of the show, and for being way too kind in gifting me that beautiful box call sitting here on my desk. And I almost forgot a wonderful walnut charcuterie board for tailgate snacking this fall. So Mark, you took good care of me, buddy. That was a great event, and I'm looking forward to hopefully coming down next year as well. So thanks to Mark in large part for making that weekend and this episode happen. And moving on to our conversation today with repeat guest on the show, Keith Coyle, shooting instructor, gun fitter. When it comes to shotguns, Keith is a wealth of knowledge, which you may recall from previous episodes he's been on. And we continue our conversation today with more on shotgun shooting and a few tips and tricks on how we can all work on our shooting this offseason. So without further ado, let's welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Keith Coyle. We are welcoming Mr. Keith Coyle back 
to the podcast. It's been three years since we've had you on, Keith. Can you believe it? Well, uh, I know this is my my start of my seventh season, but <laughs> certainly, certainly I, I three years ago, uh, it's just flown, Nick. Yeah, and you know, and of course for both of us, obviously, it's just been a you know an exceptional, I think, three years despite the best efforts of the pandemic. I, no I, kidding. We've had, we've had some really, really very good years. Yeah. Blimey. I'm a veteran then. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This is uh this is your third time on the show by my yeah. recollection. And uh, I, I couldn't be more excited to have you back on after you and I got to spend a couple days together. I finally came down to see you at Green Acres. What a wonderful weekend that was, Keith. Well, um, as I said, we, we have to firstly very quickly mention our good friend and side-by-side aficionado Mark Hinkle because yeah. obviously it's, it was, it's been his brainchild for some while. And then, of course, this year uh, he was determined to put it together and uh, it, it was just, just a brilliant, brilliant weekend. Um, as you said, um, we had such a, a great team of guns on the line. And the one thing I should have done and just didn't get the time to was work out the total age in years <laughs> of the guns <laughs> that, that we're shooting. Um, I mean, there, there were some just brilliant guns out there. And, and, you know, going back to, I think the oldest one, I think, well, was about 1895, I think. Um, and then all the others ranged throughout the early 20th century and so on. And, uh, and they certainly did prove on all the birds we threw at them <laughs> The the side by side still has a place on a game shoot. Indeed, it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, from from whether you're shooting driven grouse to the to those skyscraping pheasants or simulated pheasants we were throwing off the tower, <laughs> they they really did um, did bring them down. There there were there was quite a number of them of those clays that were certainly, as you would say, need a new coat of paint. <laughs> How did the driven grouse simulation go? That was one I missed. I, I really wanted to see those those clay throwers, but Dan and I were busy that morning. But how did the guys do on that one? They they really enjoyed it. I think of all the drives, when people go away, um, the grouse is, is the one that they all tend to talk about. Um, my worry is, of course, that um, everybody who goes out to shoot the grouse butts comes back alive. Um, right. Because the, the, these are clays, not birds, and but we do throw them obviously at simulated height of grouse, um, and they do come at you low and fast. Um, I always say sometimes it's a when you come to GA on the Downton Day, shooting the <laughs> grouse bats is almost like a rite of passage. Um, you know, you you have to stand your stand your line as these things come flying at you. Um, Hopefully, so far we've we've not decapitated anybody yet. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm saying that with crossed fingers at the moment. But um, and it was great because obviously uh, we. I think we had a couple of 26 inch barrels, or at least one. And of course, that's what you know. Robert Churchill, they were designed for, were, was to shoot grouse on the grouse moors. You know, the short, short, um, instinctive movement. Mm. And very, very quickly on that, just a little bit of history. You know, you know the story when Robert Churchill brought out that 25, 26-inch barrel, and he got a little, he got quite a lot of um, criticism from the, um, from obviously the rest of the industry, um, you know, about ballistics, blah blah blah. 
Um, but they proved very successful. But believe it or not, the very first commission for a 26-inch barrel side-by-side -side was for an American gentleman who was going, who was shooting grouse, uh, I believe, in Georgia or, you know, the, the, the southern states. Sure. Yeah, so the very first one brought by an American. Well, that doesn't that does not surprise me. I've always, I guess, I've put that together in talking to you and and knowing that that Churchill was sort of acclaimed for launching some of those shorter barreled guns. Where do you fall on the? Because barrel length is one of these things that it you know it goes in and out of vogue. Their shorter barrels were a thing for a long time. Now, definitely longer barrels are all the rage and. You listeners will know I'm I'm certainly drinking the longer barrel Kool Aid to a certain extent, but everything has its limits. Where do you fall on the barrel length discussion? If somebody says, "Hey, what what length barrel should I get?" How does that conversation work out for you, Keith? Well, generally, the the one critical thing is is actually height. How how, how tall are you? How big mm, are you? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a little sort of stocky five foot nine chap like me. Um, to be honest, a 28-inch barrel works fine. On my own guns, regrettably, which is seen in England, the, I brought a Bretta Onyx, Black Onyx, in 1979. It was a 28-inch barrel. The only thing I've done is I've put some extended chokes on. It took up another about 29 because I then started to shoot uh, driven birds, British-driven birds. So technically, the, the, the taller you are, the bigger you are, a, a, a longer barrel works. Um, it also works dependent on what you're going to shoot. So if you were going to shoot um, high pheasant in Yorkshire or Scotland, you'd definitely need a 30-inch barrel. Um, I know um, some people now have gone to 32 because mm. of increased height. But if, if you, to be honest, if you are going to shoot sporting clays, um, dependent on body build, 28 to 30 inches is fine. Um Remember, obviously, the barrel length, it's just like a golf club. Um, the longer the barrel, the greater momentum, you know, it, it builds up during the course of the movement. Um, so if you're a smaller chap with a longer barrel, it can get a bit out of control. Um, you know, you can generate too much swing, too much momentum in the club head, the barrels. Um, if, you, if you are shooting, um, obviously, if you're doing the grouse in the woods in the southern states, nothing wrong with a 25 or 26 inch barrel there, because that's what they're made for. And to be honest, for a lot of the guys that up and hunt here, truly, truly, a lot of the birds really are, are being shot around about 25, 30 yards. So again, a good a 28 inches flying, yeah. um, you know, that sort of thing. You, you really only need longer barrels, you know, if you are gonna shoot sporting clays, the 32-inch barrel really came in with the advent of Fitask. I think that's what really generated that in the past. Yeah. Because, of course, Fitask is, is sporting clays on steroids. You know, you had longer distance and so on. You need to create um, greater momentum. Um, even when I was, you know, involved in um, in the running the estate in Denier in Scotland in 2008, we had, we had a couple of guns on shoots that came in with a, um, a 32-inch sort of barrel, um, purely again because we were throwing both pheasant and partridge, you know, off of the escarpments, off of a pretty tall mountain. Uh, but it, it's very much dependent. Let's go back. It depends what you're going to shoot, what whether it's, you know, quail in the woods or 
fit as clays. And ultimately, it's really about your body dimension. The, the biggest one, again, being being height. I mean, I'm, as I say, five foot nine, and 32, you know, picked up some nice guns with 32 inch barrels, but it's too much, too much for me, too yeah. big. Um, and I say, it has, you know, just think of it like golf clubs, really. But they've all got a place. They've all got a place dependent on what you do. But do think about, you know, if you're thinking about, oh, what type of length should I have? Relate it back to your body size. You know, if you're a big six foot seven bloke, well, 32 inch power is going to be fine. Right. If you were shooting driven pheasant, people might moan because you've got an advantage because they say you're closer. Um, <laughs> to, um, but really, I say horses for courses, critical factor really is about, yeah, body height and size and what you're going to shoot. Yeah, that does make that makes a lot of sense to me. Taking into account the the stature of the shooter, which is certainly a conversation that I have a lot more often now in my work with Upland Gun Company and helping folks build shotguns. So barrel length is a is a common question. That's partly why I've thought about it. And you know, as I I I really like twenty eight for a good all around kind of can't go wrong number. And I've certainly gone to longer barrels, but as you know, I'm I'm a little bit taller. I'm six feet tall and fifteen inch length of pole. So that's kind of played into into it for me. And I like that. I was going to ask you about, you had mentioned the higher birds requiring, not necessarily requiring, but being better suited for longer barrels. What is the dynamic there? Is it, is it that momentum thing? You've got higher birds, AKA farther away shots. So you've got more momentum in the barrels. Is that the dynamic at play? Yeah. It again, well, you know, think of it again. We I always go back to golf terms and comparison. You know, shooting the high bird, the really high bird, is the big drive off the first tee. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you get your heaviest club, of course, the driver, because you really want to power that ball out. And, of course, it's the weight in the driver, of course, that, as you know, in the swing, creates momentum. And that purely just straight, it transfers straight into the longer barrel gun. Um, if you've ever watched, or if anybody out there watches the... Um, Dave, Dave Carey, the great English countryman and shooter, Dave Carey. Um, yeah, he's got a he's got a great YouTube channel, I believe. Yeah, um, he that that th- he shoots thirty two inch barrels, um, and he shoots some mighty heavy loads because he really is a um, a high bird man. Um, and there, I mean, obviously, um, he goes off Scotland, Yorkshire, um, and some of those birds are coming over. Well, they, they could be a good 150 yards up. You know, you're looking at three, 350, you know, feet. So he he uses, um, when he's shooting high pheasant, I believe he shoots his 32s. If when he was off shooting um, grouse and partridge, again, he dropped back to a 30, his 30-inch barrels. Um, you know, on the grouse and the partridge, it, it's too what I would call too much gun. You, you, you end up with overswing and of course you end up really missing the birds in front rather rather than behind so um but like you said just very quickly going back to what you say um if you if you're a sporting clay shooter and you're an upland hunter or a grouse hunter you can't go wrong with a 28 it's a universal um size you can shoot everything with it Mm. i mean obviously in these modern days of of that dread of the dreaded word chokes um that's what you can do i mean i I think we've mentioned this before and people don't 
as from what I remember, it was, it, I might be wrong, but I believe it was Beretta that originally came up with adjustable chokes. And the reason for that was, is you didn't have to buy three guns because prior to that, you'd have to buy a skeet gun. Then you'd buy a, a quarter and a half choked or modified and improved choke um, gun for sporting clays. And then, of course, you'd have a, a, a three-quarter choke and a full choke for trap. And, of course, that's why you get five chokes, traditional. So um, you didn't have to buy three guns. <laughs> and, of course, now you can have a, a choke for every day of the year. Indeed you can. <laughs> that's one of those. Uh, it's very easy to overthink and overanalyze the choke conversation, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it is. And always remember, um, don't rely on gizmos uh, to create success when you should really focus on your own skills before you buy the gizmos. Yeah. Well, be before we kind of wrap up the sort of the weekend recap, that's not necessarily the main topic of today's show, but I did want to highlight because I know Mark, Mark planned that shoot and it, this was the first year he did it. And I think based on the, the relative success of the weekend, there's a, there's a decent chance something like this may happen next year. And you, you also do this at other times during the year. Could you walk us through the simulated driven shoot because I thought it was a really it's a really cool way to use clay pigeons to again simulate some of the driven shooting that folks may not be familiar with or otherwise experience sure well very quickly the British simulated driven shooting came about uh, really I think about 20 years ago maybe a bit more in the UK uh, because the driven game shooters are a different set to the average sporting clay shooter. So the game shooter would finish the season in January, put his gun away in the cabinet, but thank heavens he would phone me up and come to Newmarket, Long Acres, where I was every year for refresher lessons. And then someone sort of decided that, well, why don't we do use clays, we'll simulate a driven day with all the overlay of the hospitality and everything else, um, so the game shooters could come and practice in the summer. And it kicked off. And then, obviously, all the clay shooters, all the sporting clay shooters, they got on board because what a great day. You know, there's all these clays in the air and, and it's just great fun. Um, but then, you see, you could then be, um, if you'd like an aristocrat or a toff, um, on a game shoot with all the panoply, you say, of the hospitality and the tradition, but without having to spend the same amount of money. So you could do a day for 250, 350 pounds, maybe compared to 800 to perhaps a thousand pounds for a live day. Mm. So that that's really how it came about. Now, I don't think, to be honest, now there's not a commercial estate, i.e., driven estate, in the UK that now doesn't do simulated shooting during the summer. However, what the great thing was when we came here, um, we. Obviously, it's Illinois, it's flat. Um, so we wanted to start working on how, how we can introduce the, the driven thing in the simulated day. But the great thing here was I was able to do and I put into force an idea where we could replicate the British driven shooting season from August day to December all in one day. Because, as you know, we kick off on the glorious 12th of August with driven grouse up on the grouse moors. You know, you shoot from a butt, that's B-U-T-T, -T, but you stand in it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, of course, you we go to September where we get driven grey leg partridge, um, particularly in the East Anglian region of the east coast of England um, on those shallow valleys. And then, of course, driven pheasant comes in in October and that goes all the way through then to January of the following year. And, of course, the, you know, you can go different places and, the, you know, you can shoot birds at different heights, um, shooting early pheasant in October. They're good fun, but they, they're a lot. They can be a lot different um, to shooting birds in December. So we've worked at it. It's taken a fair bit of, of, uh, of effort to get it. But we now can create the whole day. And, that, and we call it a Downton Day because people know, of course, the series and they do show some driven shoots in that. Um, so we, we needed to give it a name to give people some idea of what it was. And then, yeah, we fulfilled my dream. Um, we eventually found this perfect piece of ground here where we've put the grouse butts in um, and they're authentic. It, it, we've got the grouse butts. Uh, as you've seen, we got what we call lovingly called the war wagon. That's our mobile unit. Yeah. Which we call, has, the four, has the four oscillating traps on um, and then, believe it or not, we've got the high tower, and we've got another. Um, like I call it the radar. It's a frame that can we can actually. We when I say we, let me just quickly mention my good mate Jim Griggs. Uh, Jim's been with me six years here, um, and he's really the man that does it all. I I just say Jim, can we do that? Can we do that? And he goes, Yeah, all right, I'll do it. So <laughs> Jim, when I say we, it's the royal we. I'm really talking about. Jim. Uh, <laughs> He has to climb the tower, but this this frame is on it's on like a radar. It will it will rotate 360 degrees. On top of that, we've got another three traps, two standards and a midi, and they're on that timer and an oscillator, so they're throwing birds. Um, so purely by and then of course very quickly we have our mobile um, boom, our high high boom. It's got another two traps. Um, so. Just purely by shifting, we don't have to walk very far to go from Yorkshire to Scotland. Um, we just move the machine around to a different, throwing over a different uh, vista, over a different set of trees and whatever. And we can go from medium, you know, the, the early birds to high birds. So, and it's it's just great fun. People say to me, well, how many clays is it? And I say, oh, I'm sorry, mate, I've got no idea. I just <laughs> turn the machines on. <laughs> And I, I turn them off when I see everybody's arms starting to droop. Um, I don't know. I think we must throw between about 4,000 and 5,000 clays during the day. Um, I think people, on average, it's certainly 350-plus shells, um, depending on how quick your loader can load for you and what you show. And, yeah, it, it, it's very pleased with what we've achieved. I'm very proud of it. Um, and it is unique. I, I don't even think in the UK there's a sim shoot that does what we do hmm. in the context of all of the different, all of the four seasonal birds. Um, and then, of course, on top of that, we have the overlay. We have the hospitality of the shoot party. Um, you know, you, you arrive, there's breakfast. Um, then during the, uh, after the first two drives, we do the 11s is break. Um, and people say, really, do you need food? Trust me, when you've been out on the on the moors or when you've been shooting these, you need you need the energy top up. So we do that. We do the two more drives. And then, of course, we come back uh, to the post-shoot dinner. Um, 
which again is a, a brilliant social time. You know, stories are told, great food is consumed, and um, much wine is drunk. I'm pleased to say. Um, <laughs> so it it it, it is. We, we create the whole uh, the whole reality in a in a in a suspended sense. So, and it's just great fun. And and we now do one our own uh, simulated shoot. We now do. Uh, a Downton Day on the last Saturday of every month through from April till August. Oh, cool. um, we don't do money in September because literally the very first weekend in October, we kick off our live-driven season, of course, with the trifecta three-day event, which in the first day, of course, is the Downton Day. Um, but, yeah, anybody can come along. It's not restricted to members. Um I always say to people, the only two things you need are plenty of cartridges and a big appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, that's that's it. And as I say, it's you know, people say, "Oh, have you got to wear that goofy clothing?" Um, well, no, you know, it's a simulated day. It's in the summer. Um, you know, you, you'll see the pictures and stuff we've just put up. You know, people were in shorts; they were in smart shorts. You know, um, and. Um, yeah, we, we dress accordingly to the weather, as I say, in uh, uh, American comfy country casual. Um, during the winter, of course, we when we move into the live shoots, well, yeah, people people wear their tweeds or their they don't have to be tweeds, just winter clothing. Um, we do ask the gentleman to wear a tie. That's always traditional. Um, and just don't wear camouflage, your camouflage clothing. Um, but but no, Counting Day, great fun. It's it's a casual event. Um, whether you're a hardened sporting clay shooter or whether you're you're an upland hunter, um, it's a, it's for everybody. It's it's the day I call it where wing meets clay. That was always the thing that was said to me. Got so, it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a fun mate. I think if I may, one of the chaps that came along because we also very quickly. We, we do a charity shoot for um, John uh, Lindquist at, at the Midway, um, obviously, you know, junior. Oh, the foundation, yeah. Yeah, the foundation. We, we, we do one now for, for John. We, this was our uh, third one this year. Um, and I remember one of his guests coming along, and he, he was at the dinner, and they were all having a good time. And he turned around, and he, he sort of uh, he was heard to say that was the most fun he'd ever had with his clothes on. <laughs> it was it was really fun to see i i had heard you talk about it before and um i guess maybe had some idea of what it was but until you get down and, and see it i was fortunate to be able to do that over the weekend it was it was cool I, I appreciated the way that you again you walked through the the season and set up the various various driven shoots with the clays and i i did not partake in the shooting despite uh the urging of mr hinkle but i did partake in the the food and beverage and uh that was that was excellent so i can definitely attest to that good though because obviously then um that's my wife's uh brenda's department uh some of you obviously have seen pictures of me and you can tell by my waistline that i've never really missed the move. <laughs> uh, and it's also as i say a testament to her fine cooking um, and she does that. I mean, obviously, um, she does that, I have to say, out of love of the job. Um, because I'm on an O-1 visa, she can't work. She doesn't get paid. Um, it just costs me sort of like a, a dinner or two out, you know, <laughs> to sure. pay. Um, 
but yeah, and and the great thing is, and um, uh, what really gives all of us the, the the great pleasure is that I know for Green Acres, and let's face it, of course, it's a commercial venture. Uh, it's an event. We have to make profit on that event, but we view it slightly differently. Um, in the sense, Brenda and I, and, and Sage here now, who, who's our operations manager, um, for us, it's a house party. The way we treat it is like asking a bunch of friends and mates over to the weekend house party shoe. So, as I said, it, it, it's we, we we have a different feel about it. Um, and as I say, it's just coming along, being invited along, if you like, to. Uh, so uh, you make your own estate down the road and, and, and join the family for a shoot. Um, and it, it, it's the way it comes across. I, um, the nice thing is that I always make sure that when we match the wines with the food, um, there is, uh, we work it, technically you can work out how many glasses, but I just go by the bottom now. Um, <laughs> I just make sure we, we, there's always reserves. Trust me, we, we, we so far, touch wood, have not run out of wine. So, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we really enjoy it. And I'd say it's, uh, I think, the, the, it, and it's the sociality of it. It's the, it's the camaraderie of the day. Yeah. Um, I th- don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are some, you know, there are a lot of American style shoots that have the same. But, but really, truly, the, the driven day is not just about the shooting. It's, it's about the sociality of it. Um, you know, being with good friends, having a great time, having good food and bags of wine. You can't <laughs> shooting a shotgun, drinking wine and eating good food. No better combination, really, is there? You know. So yeah, so that's how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool to see, as I said. But uh, outside of planning and organizing events like that down there at Green Acres, you also spend plenty of time teaching, educating, gun fitting, and and helping people become better shotgun shooters, whether that's at clay targets, birds, or both. But if I were to ask you, Keith, what is a shotgun? What would your answer be? And it doesn't have to be a short one. <laughs> right, okay, so because obviously you, you listen. Um, <laughs> okay, all right, all right uh, yeah. Um, when I first uh, went um, to meet uh, uh, my gun fitting men- mentor, Chris Craddock, um, when I was working with Roger and, and went to his house in Bath, first time to meet him, um, that was exactly the question of what he said to me. He said, well, Keith, he says, I've heard a lot about you, about Roger. He said, so my first question is, what's a shotgun? And I thought, oh, right, climbing, that's come out that's come out of the right field, isn't it? And, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm thinking he expects me to come up with a genius, oh, it's a small bore, you know, double barrel, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm thinking, and he, could, he was very clever, the old boy. He could see my old wheels turning round. And I'm, and then he says, no, no, it's not, not rocket science, mate, or lad. He said, what's a shotgun? And I knew exactly what he wanted me to say was, I don't know, Chris, tell me what's a shotgun. And he looked at me, and he got his finger, and he said, I'll tell you, he got his pointing finger. He said, I'll tell you what it was, boy. It was a clever idea by a simple man. Was it? What was that then? He said, well, one day this simple man was walking through his field and a rabbit runs out in front of him. And he, he just gets his finger and he points at that rabbit. He said, and he walked along a bit more and it's a big fat wood pigeon flies out the trees and he gets his finger and he points straight at the wood pigeon. 
And apparently the simple man walked along for about three or four more steps, looked straight at his pointing finger and said, well, if I had a gun what my finger could do, he said, I could feed my family. And that's what Chris said was the birth of a shotgun. He said the only thing they did wrong was call it a gun. Because the moment you put the word gun in it, every man around the world believes he can shoot it, even if he's never picked one up in his life. <laughs> and I have to say, that's, that was quite a true statement. He said, well, what they should have done was called it a pointy bangy stick. <laughs> and that was it. That, that, that's the shotgun. And, so, and, and of course, like everything, a bit like golf. I mean, what was golf? It was a load of hairy Scotsmen running around in kilts with sticks knocking stones down rabbit holes is <laughs> somewhat different now to to some of the you know to, to golf um so the the shotgun thing like every like every sort of thing just gets moved on and and changed yeah. but it, the essence of it is and i and please forgive me there is a lot of techno babble gobbledygook put around about this now um but ultimately What's a shotgun? It's just your finger. And you've just got to point it. Um, the critical factor, like we've always discussed, is the method that you use to line that extended pointing finger up with the object at which you're going to point and your eye. Um, and if you can do that, you know, without and, and you develop the right skill without conscious thought, that's that's the guy. It's the same going, going back to golf. Same as your golf swing. You know, every golfer, you know, the success of his game depends on his golf swing. Um, to be honest, um, true true success in, in shotgun shooting revolved around, like every sport, the basic. And that basic is learning to mount the gun properly, yeah. not the way your brain thinks it should be done. Because I was that soldier. I, I mounted the shotgun the way I thought it should have been done. Um, I started off with lessons, and the old boy that gave me my first lesson was okay, but he taught me what he thought was right, which it really wasn't. And, of course, as you know the story, you know, the day I meet Roger Silcox on my coaching course, he shows me how the gun should be mounted properly, and, and that changed. That was the moment life changed. Um, and it's one of the things that I don't know why, but... Anybody who shoots a shotgun never uh, inquires, am I doing, am I mounting the gun right? Everybody just picks up a gun and does what they think it should be. They try, the first thing they do is put the stock in the shoulder, then they bring the head down to the gun. Ah, well, unfortunately, you know, as we, as everybody knows, and you know, we, we say it all the time, it's the wrong way around. You bring the gun up to the eye and the face, first then you put the gun in the shoulder and the final thing is the comb has to sit under the buttress of your cheekbone not next to your cheek because the buttress of your cheekbone sits directly under your eye that's the same on every human being so you've got to get the comb under the buttress of the cheekbone not next to the cheekbone that's why you see so many people People mount the gun across their, their face and across their body, and that's very common. You see people rolling their head over the gun. So but that, those are the things. It, if people if people just did pay a bit more attention, um, play shooters again, please forgive me, 
please don't go around emulating all these young top shots and all the rest of it. Um, you have to remember a lot of these blokes were shooting since they were kids. They've all been sponsored. Uh, I mean, the great shot, George Digweed, who is a great shot and I think the best ever, he's never had a proper job. He, he started working at eight years old in his dad's butcher shop in Kent in England. He was the tea boy and used to sweep up. Um, and then he would go out shooting pigeons with his dad. I mean, he didn't shoot clays until he was 14 and he was good at it. So by the time he was 15, he was being sponsored um, and never had to go and get a, a job elsewhere. So all the play shooters out there, just emulating what all these other top shots do, well, is no. Go and learn how to mount your gun properly first uh, and then get a, a good method and then apply that to go out to to your competition shooting, you know. Um, and again, at the end, never a shortcut, mate. You know, once you learn to mount the gun properly, you've got to keep practicing for as long as you ever shoot. Um, just buying chokes or gizmos and whatever, it's not going to make you a champion. It's like in every sport. You know, you only get out the effort that you put in. Um, so, and shoot for fun. I think that's the other thing. We all, you know, I think sometimes it all gets a bit caught up. Whatever you're doing, shoot for fun. Yeah. Um, more, the more the more you shoot for fun, I guarantee the more success you have. Whether you're a clay shooter or you're a hunter, um, yeah, just have fun. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, and I mean, that focus on fundamentals is, is important in many ways, but I think particularly for folks listening to this podcast, you know, we are upland bird hunters. We tend to be, certainly we want to find success and many of us, myself included, want to be, I always want to be better. I want to do things better. So I want to improve, but at the end of the day, uh, it's gotta be fun. The, the end result um, need not be another bird in the bag. That that's not the the highest priority for for most of us. But I think, and again, I'll speak to myself personally. I want to know that I'm doing things sort of to the best of my ability and or constantly improving. That's just that's just kind of hardwired into me. So that's why I'm always driven to learn and understand these fundamentals and and beyond that. Really, yeah. So Roger Roger Silcox used to say, it's not we not that you can't do it. It's just that sometimes you're not doing it as right as you can do. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the old saying Chris used to say that sometimes for a lot of people that shoot, maybe on the clays course, 
is that for a lot of people, what's hit is history. What's missed is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, my job as a coach, of course, was always, is always to take out that mystery. You know, if you're going to miss, you need to know why. So you can put it right and, and achieve success. Um, so sometimes, you know, just sometimes just going and, and investing a little bit in, um, you know, in, in getting knowledge for, for what you do, you'll you're double the enjoyment value. Um, again, it's like golf, if I go back to it, you know, it's all great having a good game. But when you get that hole in one, it's a different category. It really is a different feeling, you know, so strike an iron pier or drop a long putt yeah it's it's a good feeling <laughs> and it is and, and literally if, if you do then put it on to shooting whether you're whether you're, whether you drop that bird at 30 yards or 35 yards whether you hit that long crossing clay every time you hit that clay and you drop that bird technically it's a hole in one isn't it yeah because you never get two bites at the cherry <laughs> Yeah. So it, it is that same feeling, you know. Every time you you, you drop that, there's nothing, no better feeling than a perfect shot. Um, so it's the hole in one. Yeah. Have you ever got a hole in one, Keith? No, I don't play golf. However, apparently, I had a I had a good friend named Keith Dubman. He he was a golf pro and a, and a, a golf club maker, um, but. Many years ago, he tried to get me to play, and I no, I'm no good. But apparently, <laughs> apparently, I'm a good caddy. <laughs> I can carry a bag, and also he used to take me along. He used to play on the old pro am, and he used to take me along because I, you, I'm, even now, I've got a fairly good judge of distance. And I, he'd say to me, "How far is that?" And I'd say, "Well, I reckon that's 173 yards." And they go, what? It's either 170 or 175. I go, no, it's 173. We do, and then a few times he pays it out. He goes, bloody right. How do you know? And I said, well, when I was working for the Queen, um, I spent some time as a, a forward artillery observer. So I had a pretty good eye for distance because mm-hmm. if I if I didn't get it right and I fell short, I'd certainly have a few words in my ear for the lads behind. Um, yeah, I think that was it. I, you know, I, I was an artillery observer, forward observer. I forget they call him JTAX now, a bit of a bit of a more posh name. <laughs> yeah, and he and he couldn't get over it. So every time he was playing a pro am uh, in those days, he phoned me up. You got caddy for me, so of course yeah, I carry his clubs and I'd give him the old. Um, How far is that then? Oh. 85 yards. No, actually, it's 86. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. But um, So, admittedly, much of what we could discuss here on the podcast is a lot of it is better served visually, or at least you can, you can convey more information visually when you're standing and giving demonstrations, and we talk about sort of where your face should be on the comb. And, and uh, fortunately... For those interested, you do have a video course available that I will make note of as we are we're going to be doing a, a discount for listeners and we're going to be giving a one away to Patreon patrons too. So I'll share some more details on that. But if somebody, going back to, to what you had said before, we sort of pick up a shotgun and we just start shooting it. If so, if that is somebody out there listening, they, they got into shotgun shooting, they sort of picked it up. Maybe they got a tip here, a tip there. Maybe they've done some research, but they are sort of, asking themselves that question, well, what, what 
are those fundamentals? What do I really need to understand about mounting the shotgun and, and setting my foundation correctly? What would you say to that person? The first thing is they have to convince the brain is that it's not a rifle. Okay, it's very, very important. Um, a shotgun is not a rifle. It was never meant to be shot like a rifle. It was never meant to be used like a rifle. Now, that's quite difficult because your brain comes with this preconceived program, if you like, mm. that because Chris said it's got a gun in it, you think, oh, yeah, I'll shoot it like a rifle. No, you have to convince yourself that it's not a rifle and you should not mount the gun or stand like a rifleman. And that means with if you're right-handed to with your feet off to the right, you know, facing like your left shoulder forward and shooting across the chest. That's a very rifleman stunt. What you should realize is that, again, think of the gun, pure, think of the barrels as purely as an extension of your finger. It just needs to be pointed. And then literally just if you're always, if you're, uh, if you're right-handed and you want to, uh, for static shooting, you always want to make sure that um, the way you stand, trust me, is is your left toe needs to be at 12 o'clock and the right toe needs to be no more than, than two o'clock. If you turn that toe more around, you start pushing the left, you change the body angle, you, you change it. But you've got to try and think of the gun as your finger. And the most important thing is when you lift that, it's, your, your, your finger will come up under your eye, always does, under the dominant eye. Um, most importantly, don't lift the gun to your shoulder. Don't, you've got to, it's the brain's priority. It wants you to put the butt in the shoulder first, trying to override it. Think of bringing the comb up so it sits under your cheekbone. Remember the buttress of the cheek, put the comb under it. Then your eye should be looking over your finger, the rib of the barrel. So if anything, just, just try and think of put the gun to your face, not your shoulder. Um, and the way you can do that, as we've always said before, if you can use your arms, um in unison and in a parallel action um don't lift the gun you've got to almost use it like that reversing piston push it out bring it up to your cheekbone and then let the stock drop back into the shoulder pocket which you create by having the uh backhand uh the backhand elbow to uh, a right angle position if it's parallel or just under the parallel is fine and really that's it um and the other thing is, it's like the forearm. If, if when you pick up your, your gun, or your, whether it's a side-by-side and over and under, when you pick up the gun, get your front hand and splay the fingers apart. Put, put your hand flat, splay the fingers open. Drop the forearm directly across the palm. And obviously that will line up, obviously, um, you know, with the, with the finger. So you put it directly across your palm and then basically you just curl your fingers back and that front finger, the first finger next to the thumb, I guarantee if you do that so that it's across your palm, that finger will be directly under the, the line of the barrel, yeah. whether it's side by side or an over and under. Um, again, there's a lot of uh, clay shooters now where they have got their hand down the side of the forming. It twists the hand. Um, so it's not very good grip, um, and it sticks the, the – if I'm right-handed, it sticks the left elbow out. Um, 
which is not an advantage really because the front hand is the motive force in lifting the gun and keeping the gun online. So if you if you put the that foreign across the palm, across that palm and that front finger, you'll notice it brings the uh, as a right hand it brings your left elbow down um, because then that elbow is the motive force in lifting your gun. But the critical fact that really really is it's not a rifle. Don't shoot it like a rifle. Um, but that that is pretty difficult. You, you have to work at convincing your brain. That's what you've got to do. Uh, he, brain doesn't like that. He, he no, it's a gun. You got to shoot it like a. a so it's not a gun. It's a clever idea by a simple man. Just point your finger. Yes, <laughs> yes. But but I do I do think what you're saying is, um, I I certainly found that in my case, it, you almost when you come into it without that knowledge, I think for many people, you feel like. Shotgun shooting starts once the gun is at your shoulder, once it's already in place, you know, like a rifle, that's when you start to aim and you start to shoot, but that's not correct. Really the, the move begins from the low position and you start that pointing of the, of your finger, AKA the shotgun with your lead hand that starts right from the, from the, from the beginning of the motion before you're ever mounted. And that's, I think some people would call it connection to the target. You know, you're, you're connected to the target as soon as you begin moving the gun. And that, that really changed things for me, I thought. Well, again, <clears throat> people sort of say, you know, obviously um, the Churchill system and, and instinctive. Um, if I was going to use a word, um, it would be convergence. Because when you point your finger a moving object, your finger converges onto the object and comes up under your eye. And it, it doesn't do that in, in what I call a right-angle move. You don't lift your finger and then move your finger along the flight path. Um, you converge with it. Um, you know, if I'm shooting a right-to-left bird, um, as I see it, I start pointing my finger, and by the time my finger makes contact with the object, that means then that gun, the, the, the rib is lined up in my eye and the comb comes under my face. There's a lot of people, particularly when they shoot FITASC, because um, they, they perceive their shooting gun down, um, they do two movements. They lift the gun and then try and chase the target. That's not really shooting gun down. Um, that's just transferring to gun up. If you're going to shoot gun down, it's again, it's golf swing. What you want to do is, is wherever that target's going, you need to start converging that movement. So, as I say, if he's coming left to right or right to left, it's what you, if you're shooting gun down, the best way to think of it is coming up onto the target in what I call a flat diagonal converging approach. Um, just come up just the same as your finger would do. But the, the problem sometimes is everybody is over-focused on putting the gun in their shoulder mm. um, and, and in, you know, oh, gun in the shoulder, then I'll go after the target. And as you said, the, the one word, of, obviously, that I really, really do avoid using is the word aim. Um, yeah. uh, you never aim a shotgun. And, and of course, um, you never, ever look at the bead. You never look at the end of the barrel. Um, that's why... A gun fit is so important because if you mount it right, 
the barrel will be in line with your eye. Um, you don't take your eye off of the target. Don't take your eye off the ball, for instance. Um, so that's why a really well-fitted gun should just come up naturally, and it comes up into the comb, hits your cheek under the cheekbone, which means that rib is exactly has your eye on top of it because that's where your finger will be. You know, if you point at something and if you shut the opposite eye, you should find that that finger is sitting directly under your eye. And that's what you've got to achieve with a shotgun. Uh, and and as we've said, uh, you know, people go, oh, why have we got to have a gun that fits? Well, it's because it's got to be your finger, you know. Um, and And it's very important, but it has to be combined with the right gun mount. If you mount the gun into your shoulder and you bring your head down to your gun, then you are misfitting that gun. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to be critical, but that's why a lot of people have adjustable cones now, um, because you can mount a gun to a poor technique, for want of a better expression. Instead of learning the correct way to line the barrels up with your eye and then get a gun fit, that's what needs to be done. Um, and people, that's why it's the same. It's like with you and, and, and uh, the UGC. And, and you recommend, you know, there's a whole range of uh, gun fitters, including myself, of course, that you recommend. Because if you're going to spend that money on having something specifically made for you, which is a really fine piece of, you know, engineering, it's like having a Savile Row suit made or, a new, you know, New York suit. Um, you want it right. And it's like when people come to me, um, I know we've talked about it before, but there's two options. <laughs> when you come to me, I give you an option. I can either maybe fit the gun to your current mount, um, or if there's some alteration which I feel will be beneficial, if you work with that, we can do it two ways. But if you want me to fit the gun to your current technique, despite my observations, then you have to sign a letter that says, I allowed Keith Coyle to fit this gun to me because six months later, when you still can't truly it <laughs> on the door with a banjo, um, you go to somebody else and he says, oh, who fitted this gun? You go, Keith Coyle. He goes, oh, he was rubbish. <laughs> so but I've not yet had touch wood. I've not yet had anybody say, no, all right, give me the letter or sign it. Everybody goes through what we refer to here as the session of torture and, uh, and they get the gun mount and, well, they go away and uh, they get it right. I mean, I'm, I'm really yeah, very pleased. Um, a lot of people come along sometimes, even when we're just doing lessons and reviews with their current gun. The, the, apparently quite a number of people said, oh, I was, went to see Keith Coyle, went for a gun fit, came away with a gun mount. So um, yeah. so many people who feel their gun doesn't fit them, and yet you put the gun mount right and the gun's perfect fit. And, uh, and that happens quite a lot of the time. Uh, they, you know, they've, they've got the line. And very quickly, like if, if we're going to go very quickly about gun fit, um, people say uh, about the dimensions, truly it's height. It, it, and if you're a body norm, okay? So two things that affect the length of pull, the comb length, well, sorry, the stock length, your height and your body form. Now, most of us fall these days into what we call a body norm. You know, you can go and buy a, a suit or whatever off the shelf and wear a body norm. But then people go on about, you know, all this other thing, uh, you know, cast and um, 
when we were talking over the weekend, remember we had a lot of guys and, and people with old guns, um, and the, obviously during the 19th century when shotgun shooting started and, and developed, pretty much most of the people that were buying shotguns were the aristocracy and the, the, the rich of England and Europe. Um, and of course in those days, everybody was, a, there was different body styles. No one was a norm. You know, if you if you were rich and you had a good diet, then you could be quite chunky and chubby. Um, or, you know, you, you could be long and lanky. There, there, was, there was no real body standard until almost after the Second World War. So every gun was pretty much made individually to fit. Um, and if I may say so, that's why what you call the jointed tri-gun came about, because so many people were there was no body standard there, there was no body norm um obviously you know the secret of of, of what of the one measurement that we use to make um to to get a gun fit right and we won't say that yet um but as you know you saw it because back in those days in the victorian times you know 19th century victorian Edwardian times um as i say that the, they needed to find a one dimension on the human that was consistent yeah. And they did. Um, but that's why a trigun came about. Um, and it, it was purely and utterly because there was no body norm. Well, today, you know, we're all within reason, within a body norm. So there shouldn't be necessity to have massive changes made, made to stocks. Um, if you remember, the stock length uh, governs the other two dimensions, which is the drop of the comb, and the cast. So if you have, if you've got a gun which is too long, um, and it's, the comb is too low, you shorten the gun to the correct length. And what will that do? That will change the other two critical dimensions in ratio. I.e., if you shorten the stock, it raises the comb and reduces the cast. If then it's the other way round, and your stock is too short, if you lengthen the stock to the correct size. But of course, what does it do? It lowers the comb and increases the cast. Yes. To have those two other dimensions changed just independently for whatever reason, well, sometimes that's not the right thing to do. It 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 purely means you're mounting the gun necessarily with your own nuances and your own, if you like, uh, style. And remember, nuances creep in, bad habits creep in. We we all get bad habits from what we do. Um, and you, that's why you, you need to look at it. You need to um, review it every now and again, even if, like, you've got the gun mount spot on. Uh, sometimes after a season of shooting, shooting, sorry, I've got a bit of six there, um, you, you, you change slightly. You know, you, you get some bad habits creep in. And like everything, you just, at the end of the season, you need to polish it all up and get, get it right again. So, so there you are. Um, like as you said, you know, you came in. We just noticed, you know, you were rolling your head over the comb a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think that came up because you've been off turkey shooting, hadn't you, and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. And of course, the turkey. What, what is it that when you shoot a shotgun at turkey shooting, it 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 actually can in, encourage you to shoot it like a rifle because you tend to aim at turkeys. Yeah. They're, they're they're not big and fry. So because you were off maybe turkey shooting, you just let that left shoulder creep forward a bit. And of course, you were shooting across the, the body as opposed to having your shoulders squarish. 
And of course, you just started to roll your head over. So when you do do different things, it's really important to go into the mirror and just have a look to see if any any habit, any bad habits have crept in and, and just put them right, um, which is what we do in any sport. Yep, indeed. I, and I think uh, that's a that's a great point. The one of the cool things about this is that you you can get excellent practice at home. You know, not even not even live firing. You don't have to go to the clays course to practice a good gun mount. It's something that is very easy to do and can be very beneficial. But I think you make a great point with respect to stock dimensions. In that you need not only understand a single dimension like length of pole and isolate that. If you isolate it, you can get into trouble really quickly. You really need to understand how the relationship between length of pole affects cast and drop because everything's on an angle. So as you move up and down that comb, all of the dimensions are changing. And once you kind of understand the relationship and how they do change when you shorten or lengthen pull, then you have a much better understanding of what's actually occurring. Yeah, that, that really is very true, and you, you've really made that you know quite succinct. Um, there is one dimension that then people focus on. They talk about pitch, mm. um, pitch of the, the butt plate. Um, yeah, it can have an effect, um, but again, we, we're all of a body size. I mean, it, pitch will vary. If you'd normally go from two and a half to three degrees on, on the pitch. Um, and, of course, one of the things you have to be careful of is if you're shooting um, a stock, particularly a stock on a, a, what we call a field gun, which is very concave with a pointed toe, because that's very difficult to achieve if you're not pitched. Because as, as, as we've discussed and we demonstrated, remember, the more concave stock dimension, you know, the more concave it is, and it comes down to a pointed toe, that truly is a gun that was made in a traditional manner for shooting driven pheasants um, because, of course, it fits over the shoulder. I mean, the great, if you don't mind me saying, I think, you know, the, the, the selection of guns you brought on, on the day were not only, I'm not just saying this because it's you, but in my observation, I think I'm going to throw in now about the UGC is two things, is they are absolutely superbly made. I think you have to take full credit the, the, the make of them. Um, and at the same time, not only do they look good, but all of those guns are made to be used. Yeah. If you, 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 you make guns for, to be used, you know, not, don't, I'm sure some people do. And, and some of those guns do deserve to sit in a cabinet and, and, <laughs> and, and not be taken. But no, no, I, I mean, I was really impressed with the fact that, I picked up guns, I tried them, and they're, and they're not, as I say, some brilliant. The making on them is just first class. But they all felt that you could go out and shoot them. They're, they're made to be used. Um, and, and that's when I said to you that, you know, you, you, you've got, you know, you, the, the nice thing is that you're making, I think, what one would call some your traditional style guns. Yeah. You are not influenced by the European uh, aesthetics or the tra or this uh, tradition which is lost in in smoke. You know, and I don't mean to, I'm not being critical. Going there are certainly some some users that um, you know just because it's a field gun, they immediately have a concave 
butt plate and a pointy toe. Uh, and if you ask certain makers that maybe are Central European, you say, well, why are you doing that? And they say, well, this because uh, it's a tradition. They even really don't know why. But you have to remember, see, all the European, Central European gun makers, and even Brownings, because they were made in Belgium, they have their roots again in the 19th century, and a, a lot of their guns are still configured on the basis of um, shooting-driven shooting-driven birds. Um, but it's uh, it's one or two now beginning to realise that uh, um, shotguns aren't, aren't meant to do that, and uh, all of your guns, you know, can be universally used. I, I, I have to say that's really, you know, I have to say the whole series, and you had quite a number of guns on display, yeah. I'll give you credit, and all of them, there, there, was, there was not one that, that was non-universal that you couldn't take out and shoot um, a walked-up grouse. There wasn't a gun you couldn't go and shoot, to be honest, pheasants, high pheasants in Yorkshire. No, I, I'll say that now, mate. I was very impressed. Well, we're certainly uh, certainly happy to hear that. The, the folks at RFM are doing excellent work and and uh it's a it's a fun part of uh what fills up most of my days i do want to ask you one one more thing before we kind of come to a close here if somebody is listening to this and they are all fired up as i am to go to the clay course how might you recommend we get the most out of clay shooting for upland bird hunters you know when we go to the clay course we want to practice for the fall we all kind of live for the fall and it, I think the lines can get blurred a little bit from clay course to upland birds. Uh, do you have any recommendations for how we should go about our practice when we do go shoot clays, Keith? Okay. Um, well, firstly, it's not too difficult on most of the U.S. courses to, to find targets that retreat from you um, because that's the type of bird you're, you're going to shoot. Yeah. Um, and those, that's what you want to do. And if you can find, if, if you've got a stand where maybe you've got um, a retreating bird or retreating birds, um, ask the ground owner if it's possible when it's quiet for you maybe to go to that station. Um, and providing, obviously, you stay clear of the trap, maybe to be able to uh, walk around, you know, that, that particular target. Don't just shoot it from going away. Um, if you've got your basic going away target, shoot it going away. Um, then, if you like, go round in a crescent, you know, go round, and you've only got to move two paces. So if you're on, on the pet, if you're on a stand maybe or in a shooting position and you've got permission to move, so it's not, you know, and you're safe, then go round. You only need to go two paces to, to the left, take another, and keep moving round almost until before you're, you know, come up to a crosser. Then reverse it back to the centre and then do the same on the right-hand side, okay? Just do the same on the right-hand side. And if you can, also not only shoot it, if, if you've got a couple of targets like that, um, you really need to sort of uh, vary the height on what a, a pheasant would do or, a, or, um, or even, a, a, say, a grouse. Um, and if you can, if you can, and if you've got traps at home, then... If you've got the ability, then obviously shoot static, shoot static. Then going back about, I don't know, five or six paces and then uh, start walking up to the trap. And it, 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 if you can, if you've got someone who's going to button for you, get them, uh, get, get them to shout birdie. 
So then you can get ready and then let him throw the target at random. So that there are things that you can do to recreate effective practice on the course. Um, if you haven't got um, a sporting clays course, but you've got, but, but you've got a skate course, then obviously, um, you know, you can use stations five, six, and seven on the low house. Um, obviously, again, you'd have to be careful going on the other side of the low house um, because obviously you could be putting shot in a dangerous area. Um, but there are targets that, again, you can use which are practical um, and simulate what you're experiencing in the field. Um, just don't go shoot sporting clays because really a sporting clays course is a golf course. It's a game. Um, try and find the targets which will give you practice in a practical way. Perfect. All right, Keith. Well, I, as I mentioned before, you do have, uh, I think we maybe had you on when this came out. I don't recall exactly, but I know I've mentioned it on the show before, but you do have a, a video tutorial course. There's a series of courses online. Only perfect practice makes perfect. And folks can not only hear you, but they can see you walk through the proper gun mount, the fundamentals around wing shooting and shotgun shooting. And then furthermore, you take them out onto the clays course there at Green Acres and show a lot of different shooting stations. And there's Scott who, who helped you put it together and filmed so many great angles and, and really, uh, really gives you a great breakdown of, of exactly what is going on with the targets and sort of how you're approaching them and breaking them. Um, what else, what else do I need to, do we need to say about the courses, Keith? Well, firstly, Scott is a genius. Um, he, he put the technical part of it together. Um, and the way I wanted the courses to be, was almost like I wanted you to be having a personal lesson with me. Yeah. Um, and he really did come up with this, uh, the, the three angles, the, the whole thing is every shot we do, um, you see me shooting it, but you see it in three different camera angles. You see it in normal speed, slow motion, obviously, we, and we analyze the shot. So uh, it, it's, it's about, yeah, giving you the information so you can hear it, you can listen to it, and then you can see that information being applied. Um, as I say, it's just like just like having that was what we wanted. He, he achieved my visual, if you like, my my what I had in my mind, extremely well. Um, there's not just visuals; there are notes that constantly come up during the sequences um, that again are, are are relevant, pertinent points. You can jot them down, and I always wanted it to be. It should be a when, when you join the school. And it is the school. It's not just a video. You join the school for life. It's on the teachable platform. And um, it, it's a reference work. You, you can go back to it constantly. If you were out on the range and you've got your iPad and you want to, you, you can flick in, you can log into it, check it out, apply it on the range. That's what we really wanted to do, to make it really practical. And not like a, it's not like a video. Um, please forgive me. I don't. We haven't got lots of technical diagrams and whatever. It's all good, straightforward stuff. Yeah. Um, and as I said, it, Scott did it. There's visuals. It's it's in slow motion. You hear me shout, pull in slow motion, which is quite painful sometimes. Um, but um, 
and but you are remember once you log on and you join you you of course you buy your course but you do become a member of the school now there are very quickly that i've just uploaded or scott has a whole range of articles from my library so now as a member of the school you get access to the library there are certain other uh, bits elements additions that we put in um which again once you're a member it's all free you know you don't have to pay anymore um we've got podcasts we've, we've got stuff on there so um and we are developing it one of the things that um uh, we're in the process of, of doing hopefully this summer is we're going to revamp the website a little bit because it all needs updating but like you said there there's there's a whole batch in there in the front you know we talk about there's there's stuff on fundamentals of gun fit but as I say, the, the latest edition free to members is the uh, the big extended library, um, which is really all the stuff I've written crikey, over, over the last 30 years. So <laughs> it's, it's certainly enough to bore you. Yeah. Well, folks can find it at only perfect practice makes perfect dot teachable dot com. There will be a link to that in the show notes of course i will have we will have a discount code for all listeners of the birdshot podcast i will have likely mentioned that in the intro and we'll continue to do so and as uh i think i mentioned briefly we will be giving one winner will win uh the entire course and and win access to all of those we're going to do that for patreon patrons so i will mention that in the intro as well but keith if folks want to learn more about some of the events and or come and see you and perhaps schedule a one-on-one lesson or gun fit with you, where would they do that? Okay, um, two things. Obviously, GA Green Acres has, has got its website, which has been uh, modernized, I'm pleased to say, and quite easy to do. So you, if you go and you want details on the driven shoots, um, literally just click the heading. Um, there's the simulated shoot, there's our uh, Grand Batu, the driven pheasant, and then there's our duck. It's not only got all the information, but it's got recent videos of the days. So you can see it and listen to people about the days. The information's on there on the website. Uh, you can also then, uh, there's a link to my shooting school. But if, if you just give the, the Green Acres a ring, I'm here. That's where the school's based from. You can email me directly, which is uh, Keith at huntgreenacres.com. And yeah, any information people need, Anything I can help with, just drop me a line. Um, um, as I say, we'll get the information to you. Excellent. I will put links to all of that in the show notes as well, Keith. I want to thank you once again for taking some time to join us on the Birdshot Podcast. It was so great to see you last weekend. I'll look forward to crossing paths with you again soon. Keith, if you don't mind, hang on with me for just a second. And that does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks, Keith. All right, mate. Brilliant speaking to you. Thanks very much again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.